1: Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience.
0: Waywardradio.org slash ad-free. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
1: And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, I have three words that have something in common.
0: I love you. No, what are they? (laughs) I know. (laughs) What are they?
1: They are flummox, butterfingers, and the creeps.
0: Flummox? Butterfingers Butterf- mm-hmm. and the Creeps. They were all coined that. by the same person.
1: How did you know? I guessed.
0: I don't know who it is. <laughs>
1: Are you serious?
0: <laughs> is it all... Oh my gosh, I was
1: going to give you the hint that they were all...
0: It's a baseball writer.
1: Well, no. No? No. It's And, and I shouldn't say coined, because we're not sure that they're coined, oh. but the first citation for them...
0: Is it Shakespeare?
1: Uh, it's not Shakespeare. It's... Another author, a little later. I don't know. Prolific dude know. in the Victorian. Swift. Uh, good guess, but no, I don't no, know who. no, and a guy who came up with a lot of crazy character names like Dickens. Chuzzlewit. Yes, Dickens. Yes. Oh, okay, yes. nice. The first citations for Flummox, the Creeps, and Butterfingers are all by Dickens. And where did you learn this? Um. Well, I learned it from the Oxford University. Uh, Press uh, Oxford Words blog.
0: Oh, nice. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. And there's also a new book called What the Dickens, Distinctly Dickensian Words and How to Use Them by Brian Kozlowski, which also is a delightful dip into All these different words that he didn't necessarily coin, he might have, but he for sure popularized them. Because
0: he was so popular, any word that he used was sure to be repeated by others.
1: Yes, yes. One of those authors who was enormously successful in his day and wrote more than a dozen novels and just had this kind of linguistic exuberance. Mm -hmm.
0: That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Flummoxed. Well, if you're flummoxed about a thing having to do with language, we would love to give you an answer, 877-929-9673. And don't have the creeps about the microphone. You can send us an email to words at waywardradio.org.
1: Hello, you have a way with words.
2: Hi, this is Nathan Jones. I'm calling from um, San Diego, California.
1: Hi, Nathan. Welcome to the show. How can we help you?
2: Hi, um, I had a question about my last name. You know, the football season has started... And I started to notice a little bit more that there's a lot of African-American football players with um, the same last name. And I wasn't sure if somewhere along the line um, there was like an interracial couple or something. But uh, I was wondering how that may have happened.
0: And the last name is what? Jones. Jones. And it's your last name as well. Yeah. And are you African-American? No. <laughs> okay. And do you have any theories on this?
2: Well, I heard from my history teacher that um, back in like the early 1800s when there were slaves, Af- African-American slaves, that they were named after their uh, masters.
0: Yeah, that's uh, the the British last names belonging to African-Americans are real obvious evidence of the slavery history of the United States. It's true. The Jones, however, is also a super common last name, has something to do with when Henry VIII um, made Wales part of England. Everyone started making everything really English, and a lot of the old traditional Welsh names just started disappearing. And Jones, which means basically son of John, became a really common last name. And then a lot of those Welsh, oh, wow. folk, yeah, a lot of those Welsh folks came to the United States, and they had large families, and they um, became prosperous and popular, and spread throughout the country. And still, Jones is like the fourth most common name in the United States.
3: Wow, I never knew that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's like after Smith, Johnson, and Williams. It's funny because Johnson also means son of John. It's just mm-hmm. a different different configuration, different uh, etymological origin.
1: Mm-hmm. And Evans That's pretty popular in, from Welsh. too. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the slave history of the United States meant that when slaves were bought or sold, they often took the name of the landholder or the slaveholder, and um, they often kept those names after they were freed. Although sometimes they took their whatever name they wanted. They may have taken the name of somebody that they respected or a famous leader or um, they may have taken the name of uh, somebody else in the community who agreed to help them and, and guide them. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's a great uh, question. Thanks, thank dude. You for really calling. appreciate it.
0: How old are you, by the way, Nathan? I'm 12. 12. Well, it's a great question for a 12-year-old. Give us a call another time, all right?
3: All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, take care. Nathan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673.
0: Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi, who's this?
3: this? This is Margie.
0: Hi, Margie. Welcome to the show.
3: Where are you calling us from? Thank you very much. i from Kemp, Texas.
0: What can we help you with,
3: Margie? When I was a kid, I grew up in southern Georgia, but my mom actually grew up in New England. She was back in our car out the drive one day, and she accidentally bumped a little pine tree and uh, said, Stars and garter belts. Which I've always wondered about. <laughs> she never said it since.
1: <laughs> just the one time? Just
3: the one time. Yes, just that one time. She never ever said any type of expressions or anything, so it, I remembered it. <laughs>
1: huh.
0: Stars and garter belts. So it was, yeah. uh, she said it in surprise
1: at the accident? Yeah, but where did she get that? I, I've never heard it. Well, there's actually some history behind that term. In Britain, the Order of the Garter is the highest order of British knighthood. And often when you get that kind of of honor, you get a medal that's in the shape of a star, like a really super fancy star. Ever since the 1700s, stars and garters has referred not only to those medals, but just sort of metaphorically to that kind of honor and the people who hold them. And uh-huh. um, I'm sure you've heard the expression, my stars. Oh, yes. stars. Well, somewhere along the way, that got mixed up with stars and garters. And um, Oh. And so uh, it sounds like your mom had a little variation on it, stars and garter belts. Yeah. And,
3: and truthfully, back when I was a child, I visualized a different type of garter belt.
1: <laughs> a different type? What do you mean?
3: It was before pantyhose. <laughs> yeah, right. I remember those. The one to hold
0: up your stockings.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I never thought about the kind that you know a guy might have worn way, way back in time. <laughs>
0: the Order yeah. of
1: the Garter. And
0: now bless my stars that has something to do with uh thinking the stars controlled your destiny.
3: Right, right.
1: right, right. Ah. Yeah, we yeah, actually, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. We actually get the word influenza from that notion. Ooh. The notion that the uh, Seriously? Yes, yes. Uh, Influenza comes from an Italian word that, that literally means influence and referred to the influence of the stars on your health. Oh, wow, that's neat. Yeah, Margie, so you got all that history just from your mom backing into a pine tree.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Margie.
1: Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. My stars and garters. That's sort of an antiquated expression now, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't really. I mean, I mean, I, if you're saying it, you're saying it for effect, sort of like um, millennials saying the bee's knees. Oh right, you know, right. Reference it, to irony. the 1920s. Yeah, mm-hmm. my stars and garters.
0: Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at w a y w o r d.
1: Across a phrase the other day that I really like that describes something that's really difficult to do, mm-hmm. like a huge challenge. It's that would be a hard fight with a short stick.
0: A hard fight with a short stick.
1: Yeah. Or if somebody looks like they've had a bad day, you could say, "You look like you've been in a hard fight with a short stick."
0: Right. So somebody's got some reach on you, right? And yeah. Swatting you up against the head.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just had a visceral connection with that phrase. 877-99-9673.
4: Hello, you have a way with words. Uh, yes, this is Nick from Chalk Mountain, Texas. Chalk Mountain, Texas. Chalk Welcome Mountain. to the show. How are you doing? Well, thank you. I love your show. Thank you very much. Thank you very
1: much. How What's can we on help? your mind?
4: About 35 years ago, a long time ago, uh, I was uh, involved in a business transaction. I was in Dallas at the time, and there was a woman, she was German, and her name was Ganilla. And I remember my wife and I invited her to go out to dinner, and it was a business dinner and it was near Christmas and it was one of those evenings um, where you know total absolute total strangers just had a great time over a bottle of wine and it was just it was a just a perfect, comfortable, beautiful evening And at the end, she uttered something in German I don't know I don't remember exactly if it was a word or a phrase, but in any case, I asked her to translate, and she said it translates as, Oh, beautiful moment, please linger. And I always thought that was a great thing, and I would love to know what that word or phrase is in German.
1: What a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. That's well, great. You. I
0: think I know what you're talking about. I think I, I, I've had a few of those in my life where... Absolutely everyone and everything was perfect for a little while, mm-hmm. and there were no complaints, and they there's still a glow
4: many years later.
1: Interesting. Did you have yeah. the impression that Ganilla was a uh, uh, lover of literature?
4: Well, I, I can't remember much of any specifics about the conversation, but I know when she came up with that, um, that word or phrase or whatever it was, that uh, she was very, I guess, proud of her language and mm-hmm. proud that it could express things like that kind of a sentiment. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, I was
4: impressed as well. Yeah, I hope I wish we had a word in, in English for it. But
1: exactly, the Germans often often outdo us there, don't they?
4: Well, you wouldn't think the Germans; you would think Italians or French or something. But it was German this time.
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, what she was quoting, I'm betting, is one of the most famous phrases in German literature. Um, and it comes from the, the tragic play Faust by Goethe. Oh. You know, like a Faustian bargain is a bargain where you sell your soul to the devil. And that was, that was the plot in this play where, uh, Faust is depressed and the devil comes to him and says, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do anything for you, give you anything you want, as long as you'll agree to serve me in hell after you die. And so the deal that the two of them made was that Faust agreed that uh, that if he ever had a joyful moment, pretty much like the kind of moment that you're describing, that he just wanted to linger forever and ever, this moment of perfect bliss, if Faust ever got to that point in his life, then according to their agreement, he would die and go to hell. And when... Now
4: you're scaring me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't. That's the oh, good well, news. that's right.
4: <laughs> that's right. I certainly did not.
1: But yeah, and that passage translates as Faust telling uh, the devil, you know, when they're, when they're negotiating this agreement, he says something to the effect of, oh, beautiful moment, please linger, and then that will be the cue for me to die and go serve you in hell. And, and that beautiful uh, German phrase is, Verweile doch du bist so schön.
4: Well, I'm not sure I'll remember that, but...
1: It's probably the most famous phrase in German literature. Verweile doch, du bist so schön.
5: Wow. starts with a V.
1: Well, thank you for um, sharing this evening with us.
5: Well,
4: thank you for your show. We enjoy it. And thank you for having me on. All All right. right. Thank you very much. Take care All right. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: We are going to put that full German phrase on the website so you can find it for yourself. But the English version that they use is really quite beautiful, isn't it? nice. Yeah, I
1: think I'm going to adopt that one. Oh, beautiful
0: moment. Please linger. That's nice.
1: Yeah. What more do you need?
0: 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D.
1: Away with Words is a show about family, history, and culture, all wrapped up in language. Stay with us. Hey, we've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads.
0: That's right. Imagine Away with Words the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising
1: interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free.
0: It's inexpensive, easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify.
1: It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience.
0: And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree.
1: Sign up today. Your support means the world.
0: waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
1: And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now from New York City is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hey, John.
6: Hey, Martha. Hey, Grant. How's it going? What is up? Well, I had a great time a few months ago watching the Olympics, of course, like everyone. Of course, my favorite is the Parade of Nations, which is awesome. But while I'm watching it, all I can think of is wordplay using country names. Oh, boy. Oh, what a surprise. We'll treat the names of the countries uh, literally or or phonetically. I'll clue two words. If you guess them and put them together, you'll get the name of a country. Okay. Okay? Right. For example, a cylindrical metal container. The acronym that's likely on the back of your toothpaste would be CAN, Can. and ADA, the uh, American Temple Association. Gotcha. Oh, okay, dear. And that gets okay. you Canada. Got it. Now it might be typographic or it might be phonetic, but let's let's just go let's go someplace else. Let's go to another country. Here we go. Uh, the first one is an interjection used by Ebenezer Scrooge, precipitation.
1: Bahrain. Bahrain. Bahrain that's very okay, good. Okay, nice
6: a group of Cub Scouts, an academic grade on a test. Pakistan. (laughs) Um, Cuba. Cuba. (laughs) No. Oh. No, a more general (laughs) grade on a test. Oh. Um, Troop. Mark. Mark. Something Mark. Right. That's, you're right, on on the right track. Denmark. Yes, Denmark. Denmark. (laughs) To talk and talk incessantly... A light switch position. Gabon? Yes, oh, Gabon. Gabon, nice. <laughs> nice. Very good. Very good. Well done. The partner of from on a gift tag to move from one place to another. Togo. Togo, yes, nice. To go. You might find that on your on your fast food bag. Who knows? Uh, next is a place for rest and relaxation and massages. A two-letter word meaning fashionable or current. Spain. Spain. Spot Spa in. In nice. A triangular sail set in the front of a f- of the forward mast, a slang term for a rear end. <sighs> slang. Uh, bum butt. Jib.
1: Rear. Bum jib
6: jib. Jib is right. Jib.
1: You ever call your bum a Bralter? Oh. <laughs> yeah, we were going to the same place, right? Djibouti! 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 <laughs>
0: That's right. The I think I've Jabuti. actually heard that rhymed
6: in hip-hop. Djibouti? Um, sure. Yeah, Djibouti with booty. A men's fashion accessory, pale or weak in appearance? Taiwan. Taiwan, Taiwan. very good. I think we've hit Martha's uh, mm-hmm. wheelhouse this week. Sweet
1: Finally spot. found my wheelhouse.
6: Propel a boat with a paddle... An abnormal mental state characterized by great excitement, euphoria. Romania. Romania, yes. (laughs) Finally, these are your two clues. Thus, Obama's firstborn. I can't remember which. um, Somalia. Somalia. Oh, yes. so,
1: Somalia.
0: Somalia. It took me a second to remember which one was born first, but <laughs> yeah. there's no word I can think of with
6: Sasha in it.
1: <laughs> I was thinking sick and. laughing.
6: You guys did fantastic so on your geographic tour yeah, of the You Olympics.
1: always say that, John. Wow.
6: Thanks, John. You're Appreciate my friends. buddy. Give her yeah. best Thanks to the guys. family, all right? Yeah. You too. Take care. I'll Take see care. you next Bye-bye.
1: time. All right. This is a show where we talk about all aspects of language, so call us, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words.
5: Hi, this is J.W. I'm from uh, Cedar Hill, Texas, near Dallas.
1: Welcome to the show, J.W. How can we help you?
5: Well, I was wondering uh, why a factory is called a plant. I did a little bit of web research and found a lot of things about it, but not why.
1: Okay, so you don't work in one necessarily.
5: No, no, I work in a ministry, and we have the phrase "church plant," mm-hmm. but you know, you could you could um, substitute the word "planting" for that, and it would make perfect sense what the analogy is. But with a, you know, a place that produces cars or something, and it doesn't make any sense. And I, at first, I thought maybe it was an archaic thing. I grew up in the Midwest, and there's, you know, plants everywhere. But then I thought, no, they talk about on the news today, the GM plant in Arlington, Texas, is going to make all the SUVs or whatever it is now. Uh-huh. and They still use that term, and it just doesn't really make any sense to me.
1: Uh-huh. Well, just to be clear, what is a church plant? I mean, I'm picturing Palms on Palm Sunday, but that's not what you're talking about, right? No,
5: no, no. Uh, it's a new church. Like when a, when a denomination or a large church starts a new one, then They're planting a new church, uh, usually in an area that's underserved, like an urban area.
0: Got it. It's the same principle, though, as for the factories or the manufacturing, which is you are physically putting something in place. When you plant a plant, you are putting it in the ground. You're affixing it to that particular position. And so we're Hmm. talking about the physical putting of something down onto the ground.
5: Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, it occurred to me at one point that maybe— a satellite factory, aside from the main one, could be planted, just Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. a church. Mm -hmm. But uh, I couldn't find anything to substantiate that, you know, that that was the case. Or maybe that originally it meant a secondary, you know, place that's put in.
0: No, it's nothing more complicated than the fact that it's just put there. Uh, A thing that you plant (laughs) is a thing that's put there. There are some (laughs) extended uses of plant, which to me are really interesting. When you said church plant, I thought about physical plant used in discussions of facilities, which often Mm -hmm. refer to not so much the location of the buildings, but actually what is in them. Like we have a giant um, cooling and heating system or we have a big machinery over there, a printing press, and this is all part of the physical plant of the building. And then in the UK, they have a really interesting use of plant, which refers to heavy machinery, like backhoes and tractors. And so you will see signs oh. about uh, plant crossings, and they don't oh, mean really? no that they don't mean that Tolkien's <laughs> Ents are marching across the road. They actually mean this is where, say, uh, dump trucks and and bulldozers and so forth are coming back across huh. the road. That's interesting.
1: That's very cool. Building a plant, <laughs> but it
0: still refers to the. Um, from from almost a financial or business organization sense, all of the equipment and machinery that together makes up this operation or this enterprise. That's the plants.
1: Hmm. Who knew?
5: I see. So not not so much the building, as just the totality. Of Everything. It. Yeah. Mm. All
0: of this, all the non-human physical resources, basically.
5: Interesting. So if you or I were driving in England and we saw a Sign that said plant crossing. We would expect this building to be coming across. <laughs> no,
0: no, we would get out <laughs> our cameras just in case. But no, more than, likely, more than likely, it'd be a bulldozer or something like I that. Would,
1: I would be <laughs> expecting elms crossing the street really slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: thank
0: you so much for well, your call. Thank you. All right, thank you. Take care. Right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.
1: 877 is the number to call to talk with us on the air, or you can always send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org.
0: Did you see this discussion about what you call it when somebody steps on the heel of your shoe Oh, that- and the shoe comes off?
1: I call it getting a flat tire. Yes,
0: that's what a lot of people call it. But there's Uh a whole large part of the people in the United States who don't have any word for it. Oh, really? But everyone is, of course, that's a flat tire. You call it a flat tire. Yeah. So you're walking behind them and Mm -hmm. you accidentally step on their heel and their shoe comes off. And that's a flat tire. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words.
7: Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call.
1: Sure. Who's this?
7: Janice from Jericho, Vermont.
1: Well, welcome to the show. How can we help you?
7: Um, I have a question about the word jackpot, which I always thought meant, you know, I always heard it mean something like you, know, you win a prize, something great happens, you hit the jackpot. Mm-hmm. And back in the late 60s, I started working with um, racehorses at Belmont Park Racetrack in New York. Uh-huh. And several times I've heard people there refer to jackpot as something like getting into trouble. You know, like if you had trouble with the police, you were in a bit of a jackpot. Uh, and then, and I've never seen it on the Internet used in that way. I tried looking it up, um, but interestingly, I was just reading a book a couple of days ago that uses jackpot in that connotation, and it's kind of a book about uh, South Boston police and politicians back in the 70s, which were predominantly Irish.
8: Mm-hmm.
7: And thinking about the racetrack, the first few times I did hear it used that way, it was from Irish guys who had come over to the U.S. to work with the horses. So I'm kind of wondering if um, that's something from Europe—that connotation.
0: Well, the the clues that you've given us are interesting, but they're red herrings. The horse racing, oh. uh, yeah, the horse racing in the Irish are just coincidental to your learning of it, but not really important to the history of the word jackpot. And this meaning of this word jackpot actually goes back to the very earliest days of jackpot when it was a new word. It referred to a new kind of poker where in order to open the bidding, you had to have two jacks. And so the money in the middle of the table kept getting larger until somebody had two jacks and could start the bidding, just for that one kind of poker. So in the 1860s, or probably earlier, the word jackpot really starts to be common. It shows up in police journals where people are reporting on gambling crimes or certain kinds of embezzlement related to, to, to it. And the word jackpot really has this kind of mystery around it in the early days because sometimes it's just legitimately a gambling word, but other times it's not rather clear what they mean, where do they mean um, somebody spent all of his uh, wages at the table playing jackpot or trying to get the jackpot, and that's the tangle that he got into. And But it really starts ah. to settle out with these two different tributaries, the meaning of jackpot, one referring to just a big pot of money that you win, another referring to different kinds of trouble, including in the logging business, where a jackpot even today is a tangle of logs, either mm. on the ground or in the water, something that you've got to clear up before you can pass.
7: I've just only heard the track. I've never heard anyone else uh, use it uh, as something negative.
0: I'm not surprised the track is still this wonderful place for somebody like me that likes to wallow in slang the track is a really great place to go because some of the stuff just continues to persist the gamblers use it without a a second thought they're not doing it in a knowing winking way that slang is just a part of the business
1: it's interesting in in rodeo lingo to be jackpotted is to be sort of all caught up tied up with with a with a fallen steer or a fallen horse there we go you know your legs mixed up with theirs
0: and that kind of goes nicely with the um with the tangled up logs and branches yeah, that you find yeah. in logging. Or, yeah, just a big forestry. mess. Forestry, yeah. Big a mess. big mess in general. Right,
7: right exactly. A big mess. Huh.
0: But anyway, yeah, so what happens is we just have these two persistent meanings of jackpot that kind of have continued on their own separate paths since the very beginning of that particular kind of gambling.
7: Yeah, so that's interesting because I had never heard it until I went to the racetrack, and I've really never heard it used that way since.
0: How'd you do with the horses?
7: Nobody ever wins, you
0: know?
7: <laughs> well, you're, not a, s- you're wins. not a stupor, the are house you? You're, always n- wins. you're not
0: a stupor, are you? Running around picking up tickets people have thrown down just to see if they threw down a winner? Oh,
7: there's, there's all kinds of scams going on at the racetrack, <laughs> let me tell you. All kinds. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Sometimes just... the trainers are the most people who are the most surprised when a horse wins. Oh, is yeah.
0: there? <laughs> <laughs> right, because you might be in the business for other reading, reasons, right?
7: Exactly. <laughs> well, they're, you know, they're, most of them are in there for the bet. It's all about gambling.
1: All right. Thanks a lot for calling.
7: Yeah, thanks for your answers. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, sure. Sure.
1: Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, bye. 877-929-9673. do you like Pop-Tarts?
0: I do. I love them. One of my favorite foods, actually. Is that right? The best thing to do is put a Pop-Tart in a toaster and then butter it on top of the glaze that's oh, already on yeah. there.
1: Oh, oh, on top of the glaze? Yes. For real? Yes. <laughs> what flavor? It's so
0: indulgent. It's like 9,000 calories.
1: Oh, my gosh. All of them. On top? Of, I like really? the
0: chocolate. I like the cinnamon. I like the strawberry.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay. What are the holes called in Pop Tarts vent
0: holes? I don't know. Blow The holes? purpose
1: is it, the purpose is venting them. I don't know so what they have they a name. Don't. What are they? Yes, they're called either docking holes or docker holes. Docking. How did you find this out? I was reading about crackers.
0: Oh, that's cool. So crackers or Pop Tarts or any kind of manufactured yeah, food like geez, that that has the, the perforated holes in the top yes, to let the air yes, out.
1: Yes, there are oh. devices that that are docker's that put docking holes into... That's cool. Yeah.
0: But do they also move them around the docking devices? I wonder. They have like two purposes. They they put their prongs down into the food mm-hmm. to make the holes but at the same time they can move it to like a different belt or different channel or something
1: yeah i'm not an expert on pop-tart can you tell that but... i've
0: watched 20 plus seasons of how it's made <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah pretty much i mean they you know they make this flat you know layer of yeah. of the that's cool of the food and docking then they put the holes in docking Pop-Tarts. holes or docker holes i'm gonna
0: amaze everyone the next time i butter a pop-tart
1: yeah exactly
0: <laughs> 877-929-9673
1: hello you have a way with words
9: hello this is Bruce.
1: Hi, Bruce. How you doing? Hey, Bruce.
9: I'm doing very well. It's so good to talk with both of you.
1: It's good to talk with you too. Where are you calling us from?
9: Uh, the Tampa Bay, Florida area.
1: Excellent. What can we do for you?
9: My wife and I uh, spent a week in Fort Myers, Florida, earlier uh, or, or just this past uh, uh, summer, and we visited the Thomas Edison Winter Estate, and it was it was fascinating. It was such a wonderful place to visit there was a plaque describing the rules of the Seminole Cottage. That's what they called the, the estate there in Fort Myers. And Thomas Edison's uh, oldest child, Madeline, she was the only daughter, had a very funny wit, uh, very quick-witted, and uh, they said sometimes even caustic. Her name was Madeline. And one of the rules for uh, the guest at the Seminole, Seminole Cottage was don't cabbage unto yourself all the fish poles. This has been done by guests, thereby incurring the grave disapproval of the entire family. I had never heard the word cabbage used in such a way, and I thought that it was worth uh, sharing with you.
0: hmm And you took cabbage to mean what?
9: Uh, to to gather all the fish poles to yourself uh, instead of being uh, instead of sharing them baiting like them all up and, up and putting them in the water so you have a greater chance of catching all the fish.
1: Ah, mm-hmm. okay. I've never heard fish pole before. I've always heard fishing pole. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Me too.
9: Fish okay. poles. Yeah, I thought that was uh, equally as uh, unique.
1: Yes, and to cabbage unto yourself.
9: It's almost <laughs> biblical.
1: I know that's what
9: I... the
0: unto. <laughs> that's
1: I think. right, the eleventh commandment: "Thou shalt not cabbage unto thyself." <laughs> All the simple. fish
0: bowls. <laughs> uh, There's a long history to this. It comes up now and again because it's not completely archaic. Cabbage, a verb meaning to take, pilfer, steal, plagiarize, um, and it's got 400 years' history or so in the tailoring business. There's long been a custom among people who make clothes. That if someone gives you a bolt of fabric to make, they say, a suit or a dress, that you get to keep the extras, the remnants, the scraps, and whatever little bit is left on the the roll. And that is called cabbaging, or actually the material itself is called the cabbage. We don't know why exactly. There are a couple of French verbs that maybe it comes from. More than likely, it just looks like a bunch of cabbage leaves. Um, maybe the the pile of scraps mm. that you're going to turn into, yeah, say, a, a pillow or yeah. a tie or, or, or a hat or something. Maybe they look like a, a bunch of lettuce or cabbage leaves.
1: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> um, and then quickly, though, that kind of came borrowed uh, probably about 50 years later, start showing up just to mean to. To crib, as in like when you crib somebody's notes, that means you steal the school notes of the kid who sits next to you or to plagiarize. And it becomes broader over time just to mean to steal or even just to take without the intention of depriving somebody else. You're probably going to give it back. But you you borrow with some force without getting permission first. And then now we have it today where apparently it just means to hog things. So hogging all the fishing
9: poles for Fish yourself. Poles. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Very interesting. Yeah, cool, right? Yes, very cool.
1: Thank you so much for calling. Thanks, Bruce.
9: It's my pleasure. Thank you both. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Here's a quote. Either the cutter or the proprietor might sell the cabbage privately and not put the money through the books. So cabbage is a noun meaning the thing that was taken.
1: Oh, And there may be some connection here
0: to illicitly gotten money. And the connection there is more clear, green leaves Cabbage, of money. Like right? lettuce. Yeah, lettuce. Lettuce is
1: slang for money, too, right? hmm So much stuff all rolled up into one word. 877-929-9673. Here's another term that was either coined or popularized by Charles Dickens. It surprised me. The word dustbin.
0: Dustbin. I'd, yeah. I wouldn't have expected that at all. I
1: know. Not at all. But they can't find an earlier citation for so it. So
0: dustbin just means a place that you put your household refuse, yeah, right? Your dust. Your dust. <laughs> Interesting.
1: The dustbin of history. 877-929-9673.
0: Got a minute? We need your help. You know, I'm a refugee from the dictionary business. It is a business that has not gone all that well over the last 30 years, right? Layoffs, Uh big projects canceled, uh, books that people trusted just disappearing because no new editions are being made. Yeah,
1: or not being finished.
0: Not being finished, which is Mm -hmm. why there's some good news on the horizon that I want to share that comes out of the dictionary business. Oh, great. There's a British lexicographer by the name of Jonathan Green who has for decades, I think it's almost 35 years, been working on a database of English language slang. Now, He's published a bunch of smaller works, and he has published a three-volume version of what is called Green's Dictionary of Slang. Mm -hmm. But now he's done something new. He's taken that entire database, and he's put it online mostly for free. Oh, wow. You can go, and there's 132,000 terms. You can look them up, get the word, get the meaning, an etymology if there is one, at no cost to you. It's really interesting. And so this man's life work is now available on the Internet. And it's like one of these success stories out of the dictionary business that is just amazing to me. I know he's had setbacks. He had publishers change. Money that was promised didn't come through maybe. He's had to kind of finagle some help from people here and there. But he's done it finally, and it is a really good work. Green's Dictionary of Slang at greensaddictofslang.com.
1: That is fantastic news, right? And you, you know prevailed. his work too.
0: You've heard well, of Jonathan of course, of yeah, course. yeah. I,
1: I have his books, but but to have that online and have it searchable,
0: have it searchable, right? And so what's happened to me is now you know I have this like pantheon of these great works, mm-hmm. the essentials as I call them. You know them, yeah. The Oxford English Dictionary, the Dictionary of American Regional English, mm-hmm. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of English Usage, mm-hmm. Garner's Modern English Usage, and now. You can add Green's dictionary of slang to this canon of essential language works that make your job and my job easier, but also just generally understanding this crazy English language easier.
1: Yeah, yeah. And slang is such poetry that I, I can't wait to get to my computer. I agree. And yeah. That uh, slang
0: Poetry of the People. That's the title of a book by Michael ah, Adams. Absolutely is poetry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So where do I go to get this poetry? So it's
0: Green's Dict. That's D-I-C-T of slang.com. Green's Dictionary of Slang.
1: Well, this is a monumental advance. Yeah. It?
0: And congratulations to jonathan i know it's a big moment for him yeah
1: yeah life's work wow well we talk about slang and family stories about language and grammar and word origins all kinds of things here on this show so give us a call 877-929-9673 or send your questions and stories about language in email to words at waywardradio.org hello you have a way with words hi this is casey
2: from dallas texas And I'm calling uh, with a question in responses to I'm sorry that are acceptable or appropriate um, that don't imply the acceptance of actions. Um, It struck me that all of the conditioned responses I know of to I'm sorry are like, oh, it's okay, or don't worry about it, or no problem. Um, But the problem I'm having specifically is with people who are apologizing for things that they do all of the time. Like um, at work, we have a couple people who are late pretty much every day. And every day they come in with some apology. And um, at first I was like, you know, it's okay or don't worry about it or whatever, but I've gotten more and more frustrated with it and I don't know how to appropriately show that without like a full long conversation because we've had those full long conversations as well.
0: And they didn't work. Hmm.
2: And they didn't work. (laughs) And you know, I think it's something that some people just don't have a sense of timeliness. Uh in a workplace, I feel like it's inappropriate, and I don't want to continue their thinking of, hey, this is appropriate, or this is okay.
0: Do you get the feeling that they've grown used to using the apology as a crutch, as, as if that forgives their shortcomings?
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a, well, I apologize, so I don't know what the problem is. Right,
0: right. right. I see that. I have seen that in the workplaces where well, where some people, I guess, conditioned by their parents to believe that the apology made everything better.
2: Right. Exactly. And it was a conditioned response to, you know, oh, I did something wrong. I should come in and apologize and then everything's forgiven. Yeah,
1: then I fixed it. But it's yeah. the first
0: step. It's apology right. and then working on your behavior.
1: Exactly. Yes. So
0: you're yeah. looking for, what are you looking for exactly?
1: And are you a boss? So I
2: guess, I well, kind of. <laughs> um, I am one of the head technicians at my office. Okay. Um, but I don't have responsibility of these people who are completely late.
8: Got um,
2: it. So okay. I'm not trying to assert authority. I just want them to know that yes, I've heard their apology because I've tried to ignore their apology before mm. and just pretend that it didn't happen and then move on with the day so that I'm not saying, oh, it's okay but at the same time, not really having a big conversation about it. Right. Uh, so I'm looking for something, and then they come back to me and are like, oh, did you hear my apology? And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, um, okay, let's move on. Like, So something that maybe doesn't connotate that the action is okay, but I've heard them, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, the message that you want to convey is, I hear you, we can work around it this time, but I don't want it to happen again. Because we don't want to right. have to keep working exactly. around
0: it. And you don't really want to have that conversation every single time. All right, how is this going to be different?
2: Right? Exactly, exactly. And so I don't necessarily, you know, want to have a long conversation every time about, well, you're late again. Like, but I just want them to know
1: that it's not acceptable to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if your work is depending upon their work and your work is delayed right. because they're late.
1: Yeah, and you're more of a peer. I'm wondering, do you have a supervisor over the two of you that you could?
2: Yes, we do. Um, and we have a supervisor, and she has discussed this before, and we've even put in place like programs to reward good behavior, such mm-hmm. as um, bonuses if you come in for three bucks straight on time and oh. all that stuff. But it doesn't seem to be affecting anything.
0: Casey, I got to tell you, wow. <laughs> in these particular cases, you know what I usually say is words aren't going to fix it. As much okay. as I believe in the power of words, I mean, witness this radio show, as much as I believe in persuasive talk, and sometimes that there are certain people who are really receptive to just phrasing it the right way, framing it in the right way, I think you have done mm-hmm. everything within your power to fix this, and there is no magic solution here. It's either you just grit your teeth and put up with it, or they change their behavior, or they get canned, and that's actually probably the best solution. Mm-hmm. If you're late to your job, that's like one of the easiest offenses to fire somebody for. Yeah.
2: Right? Yeah. Being late? Yeah. That's
0: kind of like <laughs> that's like the minimum requirement for a job. Be on time.
2: Mm-hmm. Maybe right yeah. after
0: wear clothes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes, I completely agree with you. And, yeah, thank you for at least hearing my, my question. all that
0: you can do, I think, really is grit your teeth, seriously. or Choose your battles. Choose your battles. And, yeah. And maybe the late in the day, you're like, you find some work that you don't want to do and it's their work now because they made you work extra in the morning. I mean, maybe that's the way it goes. Can you come to some agreement okay. with them? Like, I got this task that I really hate. You're consistently late. Will you do it for me as a way of showing me that you are you really truly are sorry?
2: I can, yeah, I can certainly come up with some ways to do that. And I'll talk to my my supervisor and discuss maybe some solutions in that direction.
1: The good thing about this call, Casey, is that we're going to crowdsource the answer for you. I'm betting we're going to hear from lots of people who have had similar situations and maybe they had better ways of dealing with it.
0: But I got to say, your manner and your presentation—so what? Everything you've told us clearly, and we're just getting one side of this—sounds top-notch and professional to me. Sounds like you did all the right things.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it, and I love your show. Thank you very much. Take care. Hang in there,
0: and we'll let you know what we come up with. All right.
2: All right. Sounds great. Cheers. Take care. Bye.
0: Well, we know you want to help, Casey. You have an opinion. Maybe there are magic words that can help her solve this problem of the coworker who's late. Maybe there's a thing that she can say that will kind of put this all in perspective for that other worker. We don't know. (laughs) But if you have those magic words, send them to words at waywardradio.org or call us 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words.
8: Hello, I'm Ruth Jones from Traverse City, Michigan.
0: Hi, Ruth. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ruth. What can we do for you?
8: I grew up in the Thumb area of Michigan's Lower Peninsula. And there and everywhere else I've lived, I've heard people make comparisons by using the words different from or different than. But I know some folks use different to to make those same sorts of comparisons. And I'm just wondering if that's a regional difference or... Hmm. you hear local folks saying different too? no, I've never heard anybody local say different too mm-hmm. but I think it's on media or uh in books or
1: right Gen- I
8: just i encounter it frequently now, and I'm
1: wondering maybe you're reading or watching or listening to uh things from the u k because it's much 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 more common in is characteristic of the UK. Different two. I do
8: hear different I do two. hear BBC yeah. on public radio. There you
1: go. There you go. That's yeah. why you're hearing different too. I mean that's that's yeah. what and we I And then I the read UK.
8: authors who are British. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't know so any American it. that would use different too except as so either as in, in imitation or as pretension.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly.
8: Okay. Okay. That explains it.
0: We still have the problem of different
1: from and yeah. different than different than which one do you use well i use
8: different from but i hear different than just as often
1: uh-huh well you're you're in the majority there the vast majority of people who speak american english are going to say different from Uh, And uh, that's changing some people are saying more and more different than but uh, but the idea there is that uh, 18th century grammarians were insisting that you should use different from because than is a word that's generally used uh, with comparative adjectives like bigger or louder or taller. Grant is taller than I am. His voice is deeper than mine. There are instances where you would use different than if, say, it's followed by a clause and it makes it easier uh, and more succinct. For example, if you said something like, "Our financial projections are different than they were a year ago," that would be easier to say than different from they were, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. or
8: sounds familiar anyway.
1: Right, right. So that would be the exception. But that's it. Different too is something that you're going to hear from people in the UK.
0: And different from is the safe choice in the U.S. Yes, exactly. (laughs) For the most part.
8: Well, thank you very much. Nice talking with you.
0: Thank you very much. Great talking with you. Thank you.
1: Bye bye. Bye bye. 877
0: 929 9673. Email words at waywardradio.org.
1: Grant, how would you feel if I told you I was going to put a spider in your biscuit?
0: A spider in my biscuit? Well, mm-hmm. I know of the spider that's the part of the stove that the skillet goes on, mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but and no relation.
0: No relation. I mm-hmm. don't know. I guess I would be a little worried that you'd gone over the deep end finally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> finally. She's finally <laughs> there. What, what is it? Well, it's an expression that means to communicate bad news or to... in injure a person or put a spider in your dumpling
0: put a spider in your dumpling and
1: i'm gonna put a spider in your dumpling but you know we're gonna to have to yeah you know walk nobody, home
0: nobody wants a spider in their
1: no dumpling. nobody wants a spider in their biscuit
0: 877-929-9673 or twitter at w-a-y-w-o-r-d
1: hi you have a way with words
10: hello um my name is chad ecker and i'm in Omaha, nebraska Great. I'm doing well.
0: Welcome to the show, Chad. How can we help?
10: Well, I had this uh, question about a little language quirk that I kind of grew up with my mother mm-hmm. saying, and I actually didn't realize it was kind of out of the ordinary until I was older. Something she would do, and I think she got it from her mother as well, is she would end every telephone conversation with "bye," which I've never heard her say, like, in person, uh, it was always just at the very tail end of the phone conversation, and I didn't know if that was an idiosyncrasy of just my mother <laughs> or mm-hmm. if this was kind of a regional kind of thing. I don't know. I was just kind of curious about it. And I, I, I wonder sometimes if I do it <laughs> Yeah, I'm wondering if you do too, yeah. So, um, yeah, I didn't know. Because, um, I mean, in uh, like the Lincoln, Omaha area, we're kind of known for our uh, lack of uh, specific kind of uh, regional dialects, because of like we're telecommunication capital of the world. I don't know if that's still true. So I always find it kind of interesting the little things that that are kind of different, and that's kind of one that's always stuck with me.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I know one other person that does it for sure, and that's my father.
8: Oh, no oh really? Kid. Yeah, okay. he's
0: he's in his seventies from Missouri. You know. St. Louis area, mostly, although originally from Southeast Missouri, he has uh, some traits of, of various Southern forms of speech. But uh-huh. he does it; he's always done it oh, as long really? as I know. It. He'll do it. Could be a serious conversation, say with the bank, or it could be a conversation with, say, my my son, his grandson. But he'll he'll close it with mba mba. Right.
10: Uh, that's something I've noticed. There's no like tone to it. My when my mother uses it, she, it could be a curt mm-by or a very pleasant by. It just, it has no, like, reflection of
0: mm-hmm.
8: any, like,
10: tone in her voice or anything. like that. It's always the very last thing. It's never, mm-bye, talk to you later. It's just, mm-bye. Click.
0: There, <laughs> there are phonetic things here, pretty simple. You basically have the elongation of the lips staying closed before you do the B sound. So, because there's a, you're you're voicing the, m ba so you're just just dragging out that. But you can do it to any word that begins with it. You can do, basket you could do mm, birch tree mm, baby mm, baby <laughs> and so it's just, a, 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 just holding that sound just a little longer before you release the lips to make that the
1: but do either of you think that the um the the m mm has a meaning Itself, because I think it does.
0: Well, there there are a number of amateur theories on the internet where this is discussed, say on the straight dope forums, for example, uh-huh. where people think that they've just dropped the "good" and "goodbye," or that they've just slurred some other syllable before that. But I don't think that. I think it's actually oh, really? just the word "bye" alone, with the 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 initial sound being elongated.
1: Really, what what do you think?
10: Oh uh, well, I it's never like. Um it's never like um, it's just it seems like it's just part of the bye. It's it's never she's never responding to anything when she says it's never like because uh, I've also I talked to my cousin who's grew up in western Nebraska and she mm-hmm. uses K-by
1: okay. uh, at uh-huh. the end
10: so yeah, I don't know what, what that's about but uh-huh. it's it's for that it seems more like she's saying okay bye but for my mother, it's just part of the by, and there's no—I I never sensed any other meaning in it, I guess.
1: Uh-huh. That's so interesting. I For me, the mm has a meaning. I, I guess I've just always assumed, it's my own amateur theory, that the mm is short for mm-hmm, which sort of acknowledges everything that you've just talked with the the other person about and and you're sort of agreeing to conclude the ho- conversation, hang up, and you're just saying mm hmm bye. But it's bye. Oh, interesting. But I have no evidence for that whatsoever, and I've only known one or two other people to do it. But I, it, it's definitely noticeable when they do.
0: My father does it is a reflexive conversational closing, mm-hmm. and so it becomes at a very particular moment in the conversation when when we are doing the slow wind up to the end, right. because most Americans don't do abrupt closings in a conversation particularly right. on the telephone we do okay bye all right i'll talk to you then all right mm-hmm. talk to you later love you it's nice to see you okay bye and mm-hmm. there's a bunch of these mm-hmm. one right after the other different ways of saying goodbye or different ways of closing the conversation mm-hmm. so for him it's comes toward the end of that chain of closings mm-hmm. and it's it's not any kind of consent or assent or anything like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm Chad, we're going to probably get a bunch of calls and emails about this to learn some more about Mumbai and who says it and where. I think there's one mention of it on Urban Dictionary for what that's worth, but I don't know of any professional linguistic texts that have studied this particular closing. Hmm. If we get more information about this from our listeners, we'll talk about it on the show, all right?
10: All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very all right. much.
0: All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. We love talking about language and all of its weirdness. Clearly. 877-929-9673.